Hello and welcome. I'm Ari Goldberg, the Communications Director at the Project on Government Oversight, or POGO. Today, we'll be discussing what else, the presidential election campaign, and what it means for those of you who, like us, care about good government. At POGO, we've been fighting for more than three decades for a more open and effective government. And during that time, presidential campaigns have come and gone. Many of them certainly have struggled with issues of transparency and accountability, but I dare say that 2016 is different. We keep hearing that this election campaign is different for a whole variety of reasons, but that is certainly true when it comes to issues like transparency, accountability, corruption, and conflicts of interest. So during this podcast, we're going to talk about Donald Trump's taxes and Hillary's emails. But before we get started, I just have a quick bit of housekeeping. POGO is a nonpartisan nonprofit that does not endorse any candidates for office. We cannot and will not tell you to support either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or any of the third-party candidates in the fall. We can, however, examine their records and policies when it comes to open government and make recommendations for their campaigns if they're serious about creating a scandal-free and corruption-free administration. Joining me now at POGO's headquarters here in downtown Washington, D.C., are three of its senior leaders. First, I am delighted to welcome Danielle Bryan, who's been executive director at POGO for more than two decades. Welcome, Danielle. Hello, Ari. And we also have Scott Amy, POGO's general counsel. And if that name sounds familiar, you may have recently seen him on CNN or read a quote from Scott about the Hillary Clinton State Department email controversy in uh, one of the hundreds of papers around the country. Hi, Scott. Good afternoon, sir. And finally, Sean Moulton is POGO's senior open government manager. Sean spends a lot of time looking past November and towards January, when either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton will likely be in the White House, and wondering if the next administration will be committed to good, open, effective government. Sean, let's hear your voice. Hi, everybody. Okay, good. I want to make sure uh, people can distinguish between you and Scott. So uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Danielle, and talk about the uh, 2016 election campaign. Have you seen anything like it before? Well, there's no doubt, and I think no one has seen anything like this before. while many people are probably bemoaning uh, what we are seeing on a daily basis in the news coming out of the campaigns, I, I see there's a, a bright spot, which is that it's raising uh, issues that generally haven't been discussed on a national scale about ethics and openness uh, in, in our political leaders. So I think there's some good that's coming of this. Silver lining. You guys agree? Disagree? Well, this is Scott speaking, and I think that's uh, a good point in that you're seeing, I think, some of the groundswell here is people aren't happy with the status quo in Washington, D.C. and what's going on in our federal government, and people want to see a change, and I think that's resonating with the candidates, but, you know, more or less with the, the public, and we'll just have to wait and see how it all turns out with both the elections and where the next administration decides to carry this. Mm. And I think that's the real challenge. Uh, we see, you know, every four years we have a, a big election, uh, presidential election, that a lot of people focus on, and there's interest in making changes to how we do elections, to how we finance elections, different things each time around. Uh, unfortunately, we we get past the election and that spotlight moves off, uh, and before we actually make those changes, and so certainly my hope we'll make some of those changes uh, and keep some of that inertia going. So, Sean, let's stick with you and get into some specifics. Uh, On the Donald Trump campaign, the most obvious problem regarding transparency is his unwillingness, at least to this point, to release his taxes. 
Can you kind of walk us through why releasing tax returns is important? It's been a standard practice now for presidential candidates to release their taxes uh, for decades. And there's a lot of information that people glean from these. Uh, they learn more about the candidate themselves, the amount of money they're making, the sources of those monies, um, the kinds of contributions they make to, to charities. Uh, and we also get from that, we, we start to understand more about their, their policies. Uh, you know, it can become concerning if uh, a public official is promoting policies that are, uh, in the end, self-serving. Uh, and so this has become one of those things. There's a lot of financial uh, policies that people are concerned about. People want to list the economy as one of their top issues, and they, they want a president who's going to engage in the economy. And we have, to, we have the right to know about their personal economy in that way. Sean, also with Trump, you've, uh, you've, you've criticized his campaign for inviting donors to give uh, $5,000 to gain access to the inner workings of the transition team. Can you talk, talk us through what that was all about? It's, uh, it's about having uh, an ethical foundation uh, as you begin to govern. Uh, and the transition team, this is important for people to understand, the transition team isn't about the campaign or getting elected. The transition team is about planning how uh, that administration, uh, either candidate, they both have transition teams, but how either one of them is going to govern, who they're going to hire, the policies they're going to set. Uh, and as such, there needs to be a, a level of ethical behavior uh, when they operate. And when you're governing, we have a lot of rules in place as to you know, when people lobby uh, and talk to you, uh, what you have to disclose about that and conflicts of interest. Campaign and finance. Campaign finance. This is all disclosed. So. And so we really want to see more of that in the, in the transition process. This idea of basically selling a ticket to the table uh, for the transition process is very disturbing. It, it, it creates an imbalance, uh, or, or heightens, some would say, an imbalance that already exists in our political system where moneyed interests get uh, listened to and get attention and get their issues addressed while people who can't afford a ticket get ignored. And I would add that, that we have become accustomed, unfortunately, to the pay for access during campaigns. I mean, that is essentially what campaign uh, fundraisers are all about. You pay a lot of money for a dinner ticket to, to meet the candidate. And we don't like it, but that's not the part of, um, of how things are, are going that POGO is focusing on. What we really focus on is what happens in the governing once people have been elected. And, and that's what our, our deep concern here is not to allow a pay for access to happen with the governing. And as Sean is saying, the transition team is not about the campaign. It's about the governing, and there should be no place for uh, contributors to have special access in that case. So it's almost like a line is being crossed from politics to policy. Uh, absolutely. And, and two, two points I, I want to make. Uh, one is transitions are, are very expensive. Uh, they cost millions of dollars. You're, you really are doing a Herculean task in terms of trying to stand up a whole new administration. And right now, uh, candidates have been and still uh, remain dependent on private financing. They have to raise that money from private donors. Uh, they get a little bit of money from the government, but probably not nearly as, as much as they need. And so one solution would be to get rid of the private financing entirely. Uh, and then we, we just kind of uh, eliminate it. Uh, but the other thing, I, a point I want to make is while this story broke around uh, Donald Trump and how they are operating at least this one event uh, for their transition team, 
we don't know how Hillary Clinton's transition team, which is certainly in operations right now, is working with their fundraising and their donors. Uh, so that's just a question mark, you know. This, this could be kind of a standard operating procedure for, for transition teams for the last few elections, including the Hillary Clinton campaign right now. But it, it just so happens that it was it was revealed that we found that out Trump about it. Was doing it. Well, yeah. they were bragging about it, yeah. right? It was, it was uh, advertised. But but so I think again, this is an example of how this is an issue that probably hasn't been that much in the national uh, conversation before, but it is now, and it's something that we think is important for people to realize. There's really no place for big money to be accessing people who are planning to run the government. Let's talk also a little bit about uh, Trump's apparent willingness to retaliate against uh, critics, especially journalists, by, say, denying them press credentials or access to the campaign. I know this is something that we've also been uh, concerned about. So the media is a, a very important uh, uh, a very important third party. You know, it really stands in for the public. It goes and it asks the tough questions uh, and demands answers and then, you know, puts that information out into the public sphere so that people can, can get it. And they do all the work, and then the, the public really reaps the benefits by becoming more informed. And so right off the bat, having an adversarial relationship with press is, is not good in the leader of a country. And Donald Trump's not the only one who has difficulty with the press. I would say that Hillary Clinton could have a more open uh, relationship. There's a lot of complaints in the media that she, doesn't, she hasn't done a press conference in nine months right now, so. That's right. Uh, I, I would also just add that uh, neither candidate this year is traveling with the media, which is a total, de point. Yeah. It's a total departure from the past. Yeah. So, so let's talk about Hillary now, and for this I want to turn to Scott, who's been uh, quoted extensively uh, uh, about this. Uh, Scott, what is your take about the relationship between the Clinton State Department and the Clinton Foundation? Well, obviously, it's been very concerning in that, you know, a lot of this has been spilling out in emails that are being distributed that weren't turned over to the State Department and haven't been made publicly available. But we're, what we're seeing from these emails is that there was a long line of Clinton Foundation uh, staffers and some of their donors that were kind of waiting for access to Hillary Clinton once she became the Secretary of State. And so... All those people were lined up to ask for favors, ask for special treatment, uh, ask for visas to be processed, ask for jobs, ask for to FaceTime with, uh, with Hillary Clinton to discuss certain issues that they found important. And once again, it seems as if money and a donation to the foundation puts you closer to the front of that line in the request. And that's exactly what we're kind of talking about with accountability and transparency and openness is we don't want a government that is captured by you know, donors and by people that have a, either a lot of money or have ac access to our senior leaders. And so it, it prevents problems. At, at this point, though, have we seen any uh, evidence that favors were actually done? Uh, no. And that's kind of, we, we, you know, I know that there's been some meetings that were set up and, you know, but we can't say, state necessarily that those wouldn't have not occurred absent the donation. But, you know, the Clinton Foundation, the the gentleman's name was Doug Band. He was very, you know, astute in putting into the emails that this is a friend of the foundation or this is someone that, you know, we want to take care of or that's important or a key guy to us. And therefore, they were definitely laying on, on the table that there was a connection between the donor, the Clinton Foundation, and uh, 
to Hillary while she was at the State Department, and therefore it really blurs the line between where kind of the foundation ended and where the State Department, you know, starts. One thing I would want to add to that, though, is uh, I think, well, obviously Scott's right that, that none of these things appear to have violated any laws, but I think we should have a higher standard than whether something's illegal or not. Just because something isn't illegal doesn't mean that it isn't problematic. And uh, an important element when you're looking at ethics in government is appearance of conflicts of interest. And it's important to us that we have a democracy that people can have confidence in. And that includes people being able to, to trust that decisions that are being made are being made in the best interest of the general public and not some either personal relationships that are, are um, benefiting uh, special interests. Uh, and so that's, that's a place where I think there really needs to be a better understanding of what an appearance of a conflict of interest is and, and uh, act on it. So, so what could Clinton have done, for example, to prevent this from blowing up? Well, well I'll jump in. I think uh, you know she was under uh, the Obama executive order and uh, an appointee pledge that laid out certain, certain restrictions that she had and there were certain firewalls that were established that she couldn't have certain interactions with the Clinton Foundation. But then that didn't trickle down to her senior staff and her counsel and her chief of staff. And so at that point, that should have trickled down to those people. And they should have been under direct orders to establish firewalls between the Clinton Foundation and its donors and work that they were then, in essence, asking Hillary to do in forwarding some of these emails and these requests on to the Secretary of State. And unfortunately, I think Uma Abedin at one point stated in an email that she was handling Clinton family matters. So again, it just blurs the line where our government starts and where the corporate or private sector you know, stops that makes it very difficult to determine who we're really, you know, you don't want a, a series where you have an agency that's captured by a specific corporation or an industry. Now you're doing it with policies that we're worried about. We're worried about it with the transition. You know, with the, you know are, there's a lot of concerns here on who the government is really answering to. And rather than there being a firewall, it looks like, in fact, there was more of a, um, a fast track. So could she have issued a memo, for example, on her first date to staff saying, if the Clinton Foundation calls, you know, I'm, don't take their call. Don't Tell take, them we can't help you. Right, right, right. Certainly by her, but also general counsel should have been involved in that. There's ethics officers inside of the State Department. I mean, this should have sent some, you know, some red flags up that just, people should have taken this issue a lot more seriously than they did. And I, I would have to say, speaking of the ethics order that President Obama uh, announced early in his presidency, uh, this is sort of the one big example in the entire eight years of this presidency where we can see problems. For the most part, I think that ethics order was quite effective in preventing these kinds of conflicts of interest or even appearances. Yeah, we've had a relatively scandal-free administration, eight years of it, uh, which is kind of unprecedented in modern presidencies. But that's where Obama came in with the, the ethics order, and you know, but then also there were also rules on opening up their meetings, their guest lists for different agencies and different things like that. And I know there were some controversies where, where people handling some meetings off, you know, outside of the agency so it didn't have to be registered. But it seems as if we cleared some of those up and there have been a level of transparency and openness that we hadn't seen with, you know, pre previous administrations. Well, let's, let's be clear though. Yes, but, I mean, there are some huge downsides to this administration when it comes to uh, transparency and openness. Of course, one of the primary things that we have to uh, acknowledge is the unprecedented prosecution of whistleblowers uh, under this administration, uh, which goes right to the heart of transparency and accountability. It's 
tremendously problematic for us. No doubt. And there's been certain and also revolving door issues with the SEC and the Department of you know, Treasury and certain agencies that have had people coming in from Wall Street that everybody's been concerned with. Uh, you know, also some people getting some big golden parachutes to leave the private sector to come into this administration as well. So I'm not saying that it wasn't above reproach, but it certainly there were some things that we should definitely carry over to the next administration and they should be thinking about building on while yeah, they're in the right. transition process on how do we even do it better. Yeah, do it better. You know, one of the things that, um, that I always talk about is that here at POGO, our tagline not only says that we expose corruption, but that we explore solutions. And uh, Danielle, I know you've recently published a piece, you know, offering advice to both campaigns for how they could demonstrate their commitment to openness and uh, accountability in government. Uh, what, where, where can the campaigns begin? Well, I think the first thing that needs to happen is uh, rather, I mean, frankly, both campaigns are, are running from openness, it feels. They need to turn around right away and say, you know what, from now on, top down, we are embracing the fact that if we're going to be trusted as leaders, we need to change the way we're approaching things. These are our taxes. These are our speeches that we're giving for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, so it's know, like a cultural shift. A total, and it is very much of a, a, a lead by example. If the president is serious about it, and the candidate is serious about it, then the people who work for them will recognize that and, and see that as something that's embraced as a as an important value. Um, and, and also an important thing that is sounds kind of nerdy but tremendously important is who gets appointed. Who are the people who are uh, appointed on the transition team and in some key positions uh, in the administration. It's going to be very important that those people are people who have a demonstrated interest in integrity and ethics and openness uh, and not people who have a long history in sort of being fixers and yes people. Yeah, it's um, unfortunately as Danielle said, it's a real shift in, in culture and mindset, uh, both, both for a campaign right now, but, but also in governing. Most people think uh, that the way to get something done is to do it behind closed doors. That's, that's how you make progress. That's how you fast track something, is you keep people out of it. Um, and we need people who are going to say, look, maybe it is harder to do it out in the open, but the end result is going to be better. We'll get more buy-in, as Danielle said earlier trust in what we're doing and why we're doing it goes up and people stop thinking that there's some sort of deal being cut behind that closed door that someone's getting paid off or someone's making out uh, down the road somehow uh, from some benefit uh, and so you know we acknowledge that it's not it's not the way it's normally done it's not the way probably people will be comfortable doing it uh, and it may even be harder but the reality is in the end it, it makes everything better well, you want to definitely restore the integrity that people have in the federal system and in how we spend money in programs, policies, missions, contracts. I mean, and that seems to be a driving force in this election is the fact that people don't have faith in, in, in the integrity of our government. We don't trust government. And we need to kind of flip that upside down and change, change that culture and change the rhetoric. And so the government is earning the trust. Yes. Right. And it's only going to happen, like you said, if... if someone steps up in the lead, the top person, and says, this is absolutely the way we're doing it. Because there's so many people uh, further down in, in the bureaucracy that are so used to the other way. And on this issue of culture, it, it seems like you can't just come into power and then push a button to, to suddenly shift into a, an open and transparent 
uh, uh, direction. You can't you can't have a campaign. You can't have a yeah. You can't have a campaign that's opaque and running away from these issues, and then suddenly by policy fiat reverse course, right? That's right. No, that's right. So things need to change now, or I think we're headed for some problems in the future. Good. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Anybody have uh, some closing thoughts? One thing I, I think is important is while uh, as much as these issues are dear to the heart of us at, here at POGO, we know that these aren't the only issues that people are considering when they're deciding who to vote for. We just want to make sure that as people are, are looking at the candidates that these are elements that are weighed um, as they're moving towards November. Great. Scott, Danielle, Sean, thank you very much. Thank you. Terrific. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you for tuning in to the POGO podcast, where we take a nonpartisan look at current events through the lens of good government. We are the Project on Government Oversight, and if you want to follow our work on holding the federal government accountable, you can follow us on Twitter at POGO blog or find us online at www.pogo.org. This podcast is produced by Yulia Giorgio.